Hello ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim and I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a marketing agency based in the UK and host of this show, which is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. I'm very proud to welcome Mike Salguero onto the show this week. He is CEO of ButcherBox, which is a subscription meats delivery service from the US. Now, ButcherBox has been going since 2015, and since that time, they have seen insane growth. He's going to talk to you about it on this show, but uh, yeah, we've got talking about subscription business here. So obviously, you know, it's recurring revenue. It's nice and straightforward to scale and the numbers can get very big quite quickly. And Mike has done exactly that. The growth here is ridiculous and uh, we'll take you through some stats. But just so you know, if you look on SEMrush, their branded search is around 18,000 a month. So this is a this is a business that in two and a half years has gone from no visibility at all to more than 18,000 people searching for their brand name online every month. They have thousands of subscribers for their meat boxes and it's just a massive, massive great story. So he's going to talk us through the process, how they've done all of that, the marketing things, and also takes us to that moment where he knew that ButcherBox was going to be a success. It was a great story. I hope you get a lot of value from it. And don't forget to head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash podcast for the show notes. Enjoy the show with Mike Salvaro. All right, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So ButcherBox has been going since 2015, is that right? Yep, we started uh, with a Kickstarter campaign in September of 2015. And you've had some insane growth since that time. So perhaps before the Kickstarter campaign, where were you at personally? Why did you start the business? And maybe you could give us a feel for where ButcherBox is at now. Yeah, so I was actually the CEO of a venture-backed Company called custommade.com. And custommade was a marketplace where people that make things custom, mostly furniture and jewelry, could get work from people that want to buy things custom. So we were funded by Google and First Round Capital, a bunch of other VCs. And while I was doing that, I was always looking with my wife to eat healthier. So we were doing elimination diets and whole 30 diets and really just being cognizant of the food that we were eating. And one of the things that kept coming up was how. Uh, we should eat, be eating grass-fed beef. So I started looking for grass-fed beef and just had a really hard time finding it. Went to the local grocery store and they only had ground beef and it was really expensive. Tried a few other options and just the flavor wasn't there. Looked online and there was no one who was really sending it to your door for an affordable price. I finally found a farmer who lived about eight hours away from me who I purchased um, a cow share from, which is you just get like a large garbage bag full of meat. And that was great. The quality was amazing. And then I did that a few more times. And in the process, exposed a whole bunch of my friends to grass-fed beef and how awesome it is. And after a while, you know, the, the last time I did it, I bought a whole cow. And one of the guys who I sold a share to said, this would be so much better if it's just delivered directly to my, my door. I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So I started looking into it, trying to figure out how to, how to get that to happen, how to, how to make that happen. I couldn't figure out all the logistics and the distribution and how to ship things frozen. Um, and then I met uh, the former head of operations of Omaha Steaks. And um, he was able to open some doors for me. And then we, uh, we kind of got going. So been 
2015, so this is about two and a half years ago, June of 2015, I left my job at Custom Made. My co-founder had already taken over as CEO, and I decided to pursue ButcherBox full-time. And the idea was that at the end of the summer, sometime in September, we were going to launch a Kickstarter campaign and figure out if there was any market for this idea of grass-fed beef delivered to your door on a monthly basis. Uh, so we, we got going, and very quickly, the, the first big customer need that we figured out was people didn't just want beef. They really wanted chicken and pork as well, that, that the issues of finding a great quality, humanely raised cow were the same as issues finding great pork or issues finding great chicken. So people were asking for all three proteins. And then the other, the other thing we figured out really fast is that there was indeed a very robust market. Uh, so we went out to raise $25,000. I think within three days, we had raised about 75000 By the end of the campaign, we were at 215000 with over 1,000 backers who had all either bought one month, three months, six months, or 12 months. So it was very clear that people wanted what we were selling. The other thing that became really, really clear, and I know your audience uh, likes to hear about marketing channels, was that, uh, so we had a guy, his name is Chris Kresser, who's um, a paleo author, a really well-known paleo author and um, doctor. He tweeted about our campaign, said something like, hey, I've told you to eat grass-fed beef. Here's a company that's trying to bring it to your door. Here's their Kickstarter campaign. And we saw a flood of, of signups from that tweet. So from there, we saw that kind of red balloon and grabbed onto it and reached out to him, reached out to a lot of other paleo uh, bloggers and authors and tried to get them to do dedicated emails to their email list saying, I've told you for years, you should eat grass-fed beef, and here's a really good resource to do it. And the thing was, we weren't really asking for them to do anything uncomfortable or out of the ordinary because truly... There was no real source for grass-fed beef. We were the only ones and certainly the most reliable and, and had already become, you know, kind of larger, or at least they, they knew our name because some of their friends had, had also promoted us. And uh, that, became, that became kind of the way that we built a loyal following and started a, a larger customer base. What we've said is, and I, I still maintain this, is we don't have the... Uh, cachet or the money, frankly, to be the voice of here. Here's why you should eat grass-fed beef. I think there are lots of doctors out there, nutritionists out there, whether it's paleo people, or ketogenic people, or just you know zone diet, or lots of different lots of different ways in that say you should eat grass-fed beef. We want to be the first company that a, a customer finds once they've made that that change. So, you know, we went with the people that were already talking about that message and just got going. And um, when I think there, there's a there's a news article about me out there, about me starting this company. And I said in the article that uh, this is a really sexy business at a thousand subscribers. Um, really, you know, kind of nice lifestyle business. And I'm happy to report we're way higher than that and, and continue to grow and continuing to deliver on the promise of providing amazing quality meat reliably to people's doors and taking away the stress and the confusion and, uh, frankly, the time suck of going directly to a butcher. So butcherbox.com, you sign up for a monthly membership and we ship you a box of meat every month. 
you can choose what goes inside or you can let us choose and uh we we get you great quality stuff pre-portioned which means it's you know individual steak so there's a lot less waste everything arrives frozen so you can just put it right into your freezer and uh really you know let the let the meat uh, last you throughout the month which is what we're trying to do basically be your monthly meat supply it's, it's an incredible story and, and must be must have been an incredible feeling seeing that kickstarter take off and knowing that we're onto something here this is this is going to grow fast and and we don't have to be constantly pushing or, or forcing customers in there's actually a, a kind of built-up demand for it yeah it, it was definitely exciting i mean i don't do a good job of celebrating wins i've i've, I've gotten better but you know, as soon as the, the Kickstarter campaign started taking off, it was like, hey, look, we've got all this other work to do. There's no sense in celebrating this. Now we have to make sure that people get their boxes, which is a whole other challenge, right? And then it's like, hey, let's not celebrate that. Now that they're happy with their box, let's get them to be ongoing subscribers. So, you know, one of the challenges of being an entrepreneur is the work is never done. You're never totally satisfied with the product that you have. There's always more things to, to work on to perfect, always more people to hire, always things you're doing poorly. So yes, it was very exciting. It was definitely exciting that it was like, wow, we hit a market. But it was a short-term excitement. And then it was like, okay, let's get back to work. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so you launched with the subscription model. Obviously, the benefits of that mean you don't have to continually sell that person on on, on buying, the, buying the meat every month. How much do you think having that subscription model has impacted your growth? Uh, tremendously. So I was looking for, I knew I was going to leave custom made and I was definitely looking for a monthly recurring revenue business. Um, because when we started custom made, it was monthly recurring revenue. And it was amazing because the beauty of monthly recurring revenue is provided you have a product that people want to stay with, you start, you start the, the next month with that as your revenue phase. So if in month one, we made $1,000 in a day, month two, maybe we lost 5% of that, but you're starting with $950. And then if you do another 1,000 or another 2,000, it just compounds on itself in a way that's very hard to replicate in like a single sale. I think for a monthly recurring revenue business though, you need to make sure that the idea is, or the product is something that people can't find elsewhere and really truly want on a monthly basis. And it's not just like a, novelty item. Um, but a lot of our time is spent not only uh, trying to acquire new customers, but also keeping the members that we have and keeping them super happy and um, excited about what's coming up next month. And you know, uh, be, because uh, the, best, the best customer is the customer you already have. So it's much easier to hold on to customers than it is to go acquire new. So is that where the recipes come in as a way of kind of giving people a bit of variation each month to keep them keen, to keep them excited about what's going to come through the door? Yeah. So, I mean, the recipes serve a few purposes. So purpose number one is we send people cuts that they may never have had before. And we don't send super weird stuff, but, you know, we, we might send a, a brisket. And it, you might have had a brisket before, but not a grass-fed brisket. So we, we know that it's um, pretty challenging uh, to... Uh, cook grass-fed beef. Not that it's challenging, but it's it's unforgiving. So we want to make sure that people do a great job cooking. So we uh, want to do whatever possible to get our recipes into the hands of customers and uh, 
you know, uh, empower them to be able to cook the product that they're receiving. It also is a really interesting content play. So um, I, I think there's very little content around meat recipes and grass-fed beef recipes. And we're actually in the process of, we're about to launch a, a test kitchen where we'll be shooting videos on a daily basis and writing the recipes and bringing in famous people to cook and uh, really just refining, further refining recipes. And that that's going to be a real cornerstone of uh, what we do, helping the customer to cook and uh, enjoy kind of cooking alongside us. Love that. Love that. I want to ask you about marketing. Um, I was just doing some searches on SEMrush and just some quick numbers that I found. 18,100 people per month in the US search for ButcherBox, which is 100 times more than the number of people who search for Meatbox and 160 times more than the number of people searching for monthly meat deliveries. So not only do you seem to be first in the grass-fed beef category, you seem to be from at least looking at the numbers, your brand actually seems to be bigger than the category itself. How have you managed to build such widespread brand recognition in like two and a half years? It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's those, um, those influencers. So it's all the partners that we have and all the people who um, really pointed to us as the, the source for grass-fed beef or the source for a monthly meat delivery. And then that has just kind of snowballed. Um, the other thing that's happening is, uh, you know, our boxes go out branded. So you might see them on someone's doorstep. You might hear about somebody talking about it. You might see a, a post on somebody's Facebook wall. You might, there are lots of different ways that we can get in front of the customer. Yeah. I think when somebody does a search, it's probably because they heard about us somewhere and, um, they are trying to, trying to find out more information for the first time. So just digging into these influences a little more then. So during the Kickstarter, the paleo guy shared your shared your stuff and that just happened completely organically, accidentally, right? And then after that, you started reaching out to other people. So were you reaching out to them with an affiliate link? Are you just reaching out to them to let them know what's going on? So a lot of these influencers, they get asked by a lot of people to like rep their products. Um, now, obviously, like I said, we had a solution that I think other other products might not have. But one of the things that we did early on was we didn't have anyone writing our recipes. So we went out to paleo blogs and found great recipes. And then we wrote to the blogger and said, hey, we found this website on your on your site. We're about to send out a box to a whole bunch of customers. Would you mind if we use this recipe in, oh, in, in their <laughs> box? Love that. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, that's cool. Like, what's ButcherBox? And we're like, oh, well, this is what this is what we do. And oh, by the way, we have an affiliate program if you're interested. <laughs> That's killer. Yeah, it, it it worked really well. It was um, and and what we did with those people because so we never raised money with this business. My last company, we raised twenty seven million dollars. I think I, I really wanted to build a company without raising money because I wanted to prove that that was possible, and I wanted to avoid the pressures that come from raising venture capital and wanted to build this company the right way and do the right thing for the people and the animals and the environment and all that. Anyway, so when we started, we didn't have... So most affiliate programs are kind of like a one-time bounty where you take all your profit or maybe more than all your profit and you give it to give it to that, that person to promote you. Or you give them an upfront, like, here's $3,000. Can you write an email about us? 
we couldn't do any of that because we we didn't have any money. So we stumbled into this, you know, fantastic model for them as well as for us, which is kind of a recurring commission. So when your customer resubscribes, we continue to pay out some sort of fee to that um, to that affiliate partner. And what that did is, if you if you if they sent out a few emails and have a few hundred people, you know, you're talking about thousands of dollars in checks coming in on a monthly basis. And that that really excited people. And you know, we also treat our um, to this day we treat our affiliate partners, uh, we try to treat them as well as possible because we know how important they are to our business and to our brand and our reputation. And just do whatever we can to keep them happy and keep them excited about promoting us. That's awesome. And and obviously the affiliates that sign up, they're so heavily invested in it because this could potentially be their primary source of revenue, right? I saw one recipe site that had linked every single mention of meat in its recipes to an affiliate offer for ButcherBox. So it's almost like, it's, I don't want to say like a parasite, but you're almost the, the, the monetization model that they use behind their sites in some cases, it looks like. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to call us a parasite, but uh, <laughs> but yes, we uh, we've done very well for for a lot of uh, a lot of bloggers and recipe writers and people who have fantastic content and are just not able to properly monetize it. We haven't been able to jump into other recipe sites like larger recipe sites, but that's certainly something that we're um, interested in doing because. Yeah, I mean, the ability for you to say, oh, meat, okay, let me click this. Okay, I can get it delivered. Um, pretty pretty interesting. I'm, I'm curious, like, as the owner of the business, obviously, you've got the company to run, you've got growth to think about, you've got plans to do. You're also obviously very switched on to the marketing. So how much of your personal time and energy is spent on marketing? A lot less so now, because, I mean, more of our challenges are on the operational side, whether it's procuring an amazing product or opening a new distribution facility, you know, I kind of go where the fire is. So the fire initially was how do we market the product? And then it was, okay, this is working. We hired a bunch of people. Okay, this is working better. Let me go to the back of the house and figure figure out, you know, that side. And that's the thing I actually love about this business is it's very right brain left brain. So on the right brain side, it's like, what's the new marketing campaign? And how can we grow the business? And how do we move from paleo people to everybody? And where do we position ourselves and all that? And then the left side is like saving money uh, by being more efficient. So basically driving more value to the customer by being more efficient. So you know the, the stat is for every truckload of meat. So if you filled up a truck full of meat, Every penny that you save on that truck is $400, basically a penny per pound. So there are things you can do like, you know, do we really need, first of all, do we really need to run a truck if it's not totally full? Or uh, what if we don't label it this way and we label it that way and save two pennies? Or what if we do this? And, you know, it's always kind of like improve, improve, improve and, and get better quality and provide better better um, experience and, and better product for our customer. So that, you know, I think I spent a bunch of time on that as well. And then hiring and people management, and, you know, all that as well. And then I have, uh, I have three kids at home. So I, I, I have, uh, they're now 15 months old, but right in the middle of this taking off, I had a pair of twin daughters um, and I have a three-year-old daughter. So oh my gosh. I, I, got, I got a lot in the home <laughs> life too. Uh, Season of abundance. <laughs> yeah. 
Just to ask you about challenges and setbacks, you mentioned that Custom Made had been heavily venture backed. And obviously, with ButcherBox, you decided not to go that route. Was that as a result of some negative experiences you had with Custom Made? And perhaps you could tell us a bit more about the decision to, to fund your growth through sales this time. So first of all, we bought custommade.com from a woodworker who had built this interesting um, business. So we bought it for $150,000. So right away, we had to raise money in order to make that purchase. But we had a really interesting business on our hands early on. It was a subscription-based business. It was profitable. We had about 20 people working for us. It was, you know, it wasn't a huge business, but it was a few million dollars and and growing. And we could have just kept it as that and had a pretty interesting business on our hands and done very well. But instead, um, I think a lot of it had to do with just kind of the, the market and the world. Like when you're in the tech, when you're in tech, everybody is reading TechCrunch or talking about the next funding round. And that seems to be like all anyone thinks about or all anyone thinks. Like basically, I have to raise money in order to you know, grow this company. And so we raised a lot of money. We raised $2 million and we raised $4 million and we raised $16 million. And ultimately, um, got to a place where the business, the business model didn't really work. Meaning, um, what we built was an online, kind of like an upwork for custom products. So you would say, I'm looking for a custom engagement ring, and these makers would bid on the work. You'd hire one, pay them through our platform, watch the piece come to life. Pretty cool. Certainly for the, for the 1% of people who could actually go through the process. It was amazing and they got an amazing piece on the other end. But for everyone else, the customer um, has a really hard time explaining what they want. And the maker has a really hard time selling themselves, uh, certainly in writing online. And to try to have that happen together was, was near impossible. Now, the challenge was because we had raised all this money and we had sold everyone on this idea of a marketplace because marketplaces were really hot at the time. And there was like Airbnb and Etsy and like, it was all about peer to peer and how to, you know, building out this big marketplace. We couldn't really go back and say, hey, this doesn't work. Let's abandon ship and do this subscription thing again because the subscription thing was working really well. And it basically painted us into a corner where the business model didn't work. We had a whole bunch of cash in the bank. We kept raising money because my co founder and I were really good at raising money. And it just like, it didn't work. It just didn't work. And so ultimately, my co-founder stayed on. He's pivoted the model to a custom-made is a brand that makes custom jewelry only, not furniture. And they're doing phenomenally well, just focusing on helping people buy custom products. But they're, t- they're like basically helping the customer through the process and then finding the maker to make it and eliminating all the friction that existed in the marketplace. And um, you know, in order for that idea to come alive, it, it needed time. It needed patience. And these are things that just don't exist in the venture world. Um, I'm all for raising venture if you're like you know, building the next Facebook or Google or something that's super technical. Where I get, frankly, a little bit angry is I have lots of people come in and talk with me or ask me for advice. And it's like, you know, I, I need to go raise a million dollars. And it's like, hold on, like, what do you actually need to raise a million dollars for? What if you just build this, you know, profitably and and just have at it and see what happens. Because if you do that, 
a $5 million business that you own all of that's profitable, or you and the employees own all of that's profitable, is so much better than a $50 million business that the venture capitalists own. That view is not popular. <laughs> it's not a popular view. I find it sad, really, that people think being an entrepreneur is all about raising money. And it's not. Being an entrepreneur is about coming up with a great idea and then figuring out how to make it work with whatever resources you're given. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just think for people who are thinking about starting a company, a lot of them are like, oh, I can't do that. I don't have any money. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we started this $10,000, which I recognize is maybe too much money for some people. But I took $10,000 out of my savings account and I said, okay, I'm willing to lose this all to see if this idea will come to life. And, and we got going. So I did the whole Kickstarter, all that stuff for under 10 grand, legal, blah, blah, blah. Um, gave some people a little, little slugs of equity to help me out and, and we got going. And uh, I think anyone can do it. Now we've built a, a, a fairly large business without having you know, taken that, those numerous fundraising rounds. And actually the thing I think that separates us, so everyone's always like, you know, Blue Apron, their stock tanked when they went public. Lots of these companies are kind of floundering or um, losing lots of money. What sets you apart? Quite frankly, I think it's that we didn't raise money. So we've had to find other ways to acquire customers that doesn't involve hemorrhaging money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, that deliberately keeping ourselves, uh, deliberately keeping ourselves like resource constrained has, has helped us. It seems to be a relatively modern phenomenon, doesn't it? The, the focus on raising capital. And it really doesn't help that companies like Amazon lost money for so long before they were profitable. So now that becomes the the thing that everyone looks up to and people think, oh, you know, I need to be like them and I need to, it's okay to lose money for years and years and years before we make it. That's just part of business. This is, our, our parents or grandparents would have just been completely confused by this concept of unprofitable businesses hoping to scale. It just doesn't right. make sense. I, I think one of the things that's going to be most inspirational about your story to listeners, there's going to be people listening who feel like they're in a custom made at the moment, and they're looking at the thing and they're saying, do you know what, this this isn't really working. And they've got that decision to make between continuing on and seeing if they can push through versus starting their next thing, which could be a butcher box, which takes off and, and gets really massive. So how did you make that decision to, to to move yourself versus rather just like pushing through and, you know, never give up, never quit, keep hustling? How did you make that choice? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my co-founder and I had worked on it for six years. I had been the CEO and then uh, for five of the six years. And then my co-founder said, you know what, I want to, uh, I, we got to change something up. I want to take a turn as the CEO. So I said, okay, great. Go for it. At that point, I realized that while we had two co-founders, like we both had very similar skill sets. So it, it, it wasn't actually necessary that we had two of us. Like actually, I think it was hurting rather than helping at that point. So it was a pretty easy decision for me to walk away. And, and we, I mean, we, we let go of most of the staff. We did massive changes throughout the entire company. You know, a lot of people, you, you really got to ask yourself in terms of why are you staying? Like, what's the motivation behind staying? And usually it comes down to pride or not wanting to fail at something, uh, which is pride as well. And it's not necessarily like, well, I gave my word or I need to see this through. 
it, it's, it really comes down to like an ego thing. And for me, it was okay. I, I, I had somebody, two people who one guy said a failed business is not a failed entrepreneur. And that really stuck with me. It's like, okay, just because it failed doesn't mean like I suck. It just means that whatever, the business wasn't there. Be proud of what you built. It didn't work out. Cool. Go to the next one. And the other guy, it was uh, winners win and you're a winner. Basically, like just because this didn't work, you can look at it two ways. You can either feel like a failure and lick your wounds or you can you know, pick yourself back up and, and get going. So in between Custom Made and ButcherBox, my plan was to kind of wind down my time at Custom Made. I was going to spend 100 days just kind of chilling. And I got so fired up about ButcherBox. I literally took three days off. I took a weekend off and, a month <laughs> and then started. So, so yeah, I, uh, and I didn't look back. It wasn't like, if anything, this, this new experience has helped me pro- process the old experience and uh, has put me in a, in a good spot. And I think upon reflection, the number one thing that I have learned is, well, I mean, first of all, running a company is really hard. A lot of it has to do with timing. For me, uh, the big lesson was not every company needs to be venture backed. And I think the big strategic mistake we made is raising too much money. Uh, we did not have to raise as much money as we did, and we would be in a way better place if we, had, if we hadn't raised that money. Because the business didn't actually deserve to be that funded. Where do you see ButcherBox is two, two and a half years old now, in 10 years time, how, I don't know how far you look into the future, but wh- where do you see ButcherBox going and, and how big do you think it can get? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I think ButcherBox, I think the what we represent, which is a, um, we like to say animals raised as nature intended. So, that, you know, cows out on pasture, pigs out on pasture, free range chickens, just kind of uh, animals raised the way that they were supposed to be raised. That concept is definitely taking off and being more appreciated by customers. And I think that's only going to continue. So I think we can be at the forefront of the grass-fed movement, the pasture-raised movement, the humanely raised movement. I think ButcherBox is really going to be at the forefront of that. In addition, the kind of grocery delivery to your door, or in this case, pre-portioned meat delivery to your door is something that we can also be at the forefront of. That being said, what I'm kind of most interested in secretly is uh, we are... When I look at this business, what I see is not necessarily a grass-fed beef delivery company. I see the ability to take a subscription and ship you something on a monthly basis uh, in the mail. And if, if we think about our customer base and the other products or the other challenges that they have that we could help solve, that is where my interests lie. So if, if, I, if I was visioning out, which I, I have done and I've I, I read my vision to uh, my company. This company in the next one, two, and three years, basically on an annual basis, will be spinning out an additional brand, not under the ButcherBox name, you know, kind of closely related, but not totally related, but definitely within the kind of, you know, eating clean, clean fruits and vegetables, clean meat, the ability to kind of uh, have these things delivered thinking about the environment, all that stuff, kind of having that as the overall brand voice and brand mission, but thinking about other, other companies that we can, we can spin out of here. So that's, that's where I want to go because I think that's a really interesting and, and that, that'll definitely keep me in the space I like, which is breathing new life into, into companies. Like, you know, think about the 
brand, thinking about the, you know, the go-to-market strategy, all that stuff. So if you talk to me in three years, I bet we'd have, you know, four or five different companies all under one holding company that are just, you know, subscriber-led, member-led, um, and just helping solve problems for people as it relates to eating healthy. Well, with what you've done so far, I certainly wouldn't bet against you. Mike, where can people find out more about you and ButcherBox? ButcherBox.com. I think there, I have a coupon code for Mike30, Mike30, $30 off your first box and free bacon that people can use. And I, uh, I'm a big believer in passing things forward. So I've been helped out a lot in my career. If anyone wants to contact me, CEO at ButcherBox.com, that'll go directly to me. I certainly won't respond if you're trying to sell me something, but if you're looking for advice or um, want to talk about something, I'm, I'm happy to uh, uh, give you some time. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for sharing your incredible growth story and all the best for the future of ButcherBox. Yeah, thank you very much. 